Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. Welcome back to Kicks and Bricks. Today we have designer David Race, the legend who designed one of the most iconic shoes of the 1990s, the Grand Hill 2 for Fila. And he's the current CEO of Brand Black. What's good, Dave? Wow. Um, not much. Um, can you tell us how you got started out in the sneaker world? Yeah, so I started uh, in 1992. So I was a sophomore in college. Um, I played ball in high school and I was playing for, for Pratt, which is the art school that I went to uh, in college. And my father ran out of money and I needed to get a job to try and pay for school and to try and pay for my life because uh, I wasn't trying to go back home. So <laughs> I got, uh, my mom knew somebody. There was, uh, you know, I got a lead from a sort of like my, my, my black network. So uh -huh. there was a black executive at Fila at the time, and one of the professors knew him, and I got an interview over there. And then when I met the design director, the design director had gone to my college for the same uh, major that I was in school for, which was car design. So when he saw my portfolio of just cars, he loved it. And that's how I got the job. Like, what type of sneakers did you hoop in um, back in your bowling days? In my bowling days, like I remember I had a high school championship game in a pair of Jordan 5s, fresh out of the box, and they were terrible for the game because they were slippery as hell. That clear rubber was really trash on a, uh, on a, on a not so clean court. But I balled in, I balled in Jordans, I balled in, I wish I would have saved all my shoes, but I balled in, I balled in Jordans, I had a pair of, uh, I liked Air Alphas a lot, you know, with the strap and the forefoot. I had a pair of those black and white flights that I loved. I had uh, the first shoe that I really was crazy about. It also wasn't particularly good on the court, but was the Jordan 2. I remember I had the white ones and they had the black laces. This will give you an idea of how much the industry has changed, is that um, a white shoe with black laces was radical. <laughs> People saw it, they were like, how come you got church laces in your shoe? <laughs> Which is crazy. All right, so like be, before we get into the Grand Hill 2, can you talk about like how important the Grand Hill 1 was for establishing Fila as a major brand in the sneaker world? Yeah, so before that, uh, Fila had been sort of knocking on the door. You know, they had, um, you know, it was always a luxury brand. It was a sort of, you know, drug dealer of New York's choice because it was expensive Italian um, uh, warm-ups and all that. But the shoe game wasn't really that well-known. Uh, they were starting to make some noise with a shoe called they had the M Squad, they had the Cage, and they had a couple of other shoes. But uh, one year they got uh, this Asian, they were going to make a push towards basketball, and they ended up signing Grant Hill, which was huge because you know he was the man from Duke. Uh, 
Stackhouse and all that. So when they first launched the, the first Grand Hill with that big triangle logo, it was so outrageous and so ridiculous looking. It really put Fila on the map, you know. Um, and then it was in that, I think it was in the all, you know, your All I Need video with uh, with Method Man and with uh, Mary J. Blige. And so I think it was the it was the sort of the hood the hood sneaker of choice of its day. And one of my favorite parts of the um, Grand Hill One is like the all navy blue outsole with the traction pattern, and I and and I think like the lacing pattern, along with like the navy blue tabs, gave it such a exotic look to it. Yeah, yeah, it had a, you know the classic feel of colorway of the, the the red, white, and blue, right? Um, you know, white base shoe with, with navy accents and little hints of red. So I think that shoe really, really uh, did a great job of. of of showing that, um, I, I, I will say that as a purist designer, you know, I felt like it was a little bit of a, a it drew inspiration from other shoes, and so I was definitely trying to sort of you know come from a completely different perspective when it came time for for my shoe to come out. And like by design, to me, the '95 Grand Hills kind of looks like. The distant cousin to like the Air Jordan Nine. That's not an accident. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. The, the the guy that was you know doing those shoes, he was, you know, he stayed sort of. He would have a shoe that he liked, and then he would do a version of it. You know, and a lot of a lot of guys designed like that. And I just that wasn't really. You know, I respected the culture of it too much. And as a and as a designer, I really wanted something to say, so I really wanted to make sure that when I got a shot, that I was going to do something that was completely its own thing, you know. And like because of because of the success of the first Grand Hill shoe, like Fila, they added Jerry Stackhouse, Jamal Mashburn, and Chris Webber for a bit. Oh, I want to say, and I could be wrong, but I want to say that we had Mashburn already, and that Grand Hill came after. But, you know, he was obviously the biggest name. You know, it didn't matter who you had before. You know, just like, you know, Nike had the Iceman, but it didn't matter unless they signed Jordan, you know. <laughs> right. And you also designed the Jerry Stackhouse 2 shoe, like, during this time. Like, you talk about, like, culturally. Exactly, exactly yeah. Like, culturally, the impact that Fila had, like, on the hood back back then. Yep. And they had that cool ad. Remember, they had Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. And they had them sitting there with the size of gold. All right, so can you like talk about what went into like your creative process when creating the colorway and the silhouette for the Grand Hill Two? Yeah, so I'm gonna tell you something that's really interesting. And it just, you know, I had forgotten it until uh, uh, my man reached out to me, and he was just like, "Hey, I was wondering if you could, you know, give me some some information uh, to, to back up the story of how, you know, I designed such and such shoe. And my friend, his name is Joe Davis. He was my roommate at the time. So we were roommates for like eight, nine years. And uh, he designed the Disruptor. We were roommates when he designed the Disruptor and I designed the Grand Hill. And I think at the same time, we were, we were both, you know, we were living in Brooklyn, we were playing ball. We were kind of, we were our customer, you know, um, we were the same, roughly the same age as most of the kids who were buying our shoes and, and the same culture, which hadn't really happened before our industry that much. And uh, one of the things 
Joe was a fine arts major who like did really cool cartoon drawings, and so that definitely had an influence on me because as an industrial designer, you know, I'm I'm designing usually like very technical sort of stuff, and it allowed me to loosen up and draw more sort of uh, simple evocative shapes. And so the idea with the Grand Hill Two was, what if there was a stripe that was just the outline of the shoe? And that's, if you think about it, that's the sort of iconic feature of the shoe is that it's a silhouette line around the whole shoe. So it's just an all-white shoe with a blue stripe that is the exact outline of the shoe. And that's basically where mm-hmm. it came from. And it was that simple as a sketch. Were there like any other designs that you was like considering bef- before you went with the final look that eventually became the Grand Hill too? No, 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 no. I like that one from, 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 the, from the jump. I really... I thought that that was it. Um, you know, we already had, I knew that I was going to base it around the triangle logo. I felt like that was the iconic part of the Grand Hill One. Um, and, and I felt like that was the one feature on that shoe that did look like anybody else's thing. So, um, and it just so happened, that's why the sort of top of the shoe has also got that triangle shape. So it was always, that was always there. There were little details that changed in terms of how the lugs on the bottom were. And like, it didn't used to have a logo on the bottom. And then I think I was in finals or whatever. And the design director changed the bottom and put a giant F on the bottom. And I was actually mad salty about that. I've never really gotten that. <laughs> but I think people actually preferred the way he changed it to the way I had it, which was more quiet. So so I guess that worked out in the end. And I, and I think like the patent leather on the outline gave it such a smooth look for the shoe. And I think that's what really put it over the top. Yeah, and you know, that um, that came from, you know, I think we had a new president at the time who had been at Foot, uh, Foot Locker for years. Bob Lewald was his name. And I remember he was just like, oh, you know, the shoe has a real kind of like elegant tuxedo kind of vibe to it. You know, tuxedo shoes are patent leather, so maybe it should have patent on it, which we thought was a, was a cool idea, you know. Um, and again, you know, I think my design aesthetic has always been as clean as possible. So I think patent leather, since there's so little on that shoe, it gave it a nice little mm-hmm. pop, you know? Like, can you talk about, like, some of the tech that went into the shoe? So at the time, all Helix shoes had the 3A system, three actions. Um, it didn't really work. I mean, to be honest, the tech is, tr- is, is trash. It's not very good. It's just a foam bottom or a rubber outsole. Um, like, if you compare that to, like, what Nike was offering at the time with airbags and all that, they're not even close. Um, that shoe is just, it's got a lot of swagger and it's got a lot of, 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 of visual strength. But from a functional standpoint, there's not a whole lot going on. I have to be 100% honest about that. <laughs> now, I will say is that one of the things that I had, and I have early prototypes of it, um, what I was trying to do on that shoe in the beginning was to, I wanted to introduce clear rubber in colors, which hadn't been done before. Now, you know, obviously, that the, the, the Jordan 11 came out, and it had the red tinted bottom. But the reality is that we were supposed to come out with the Grand Hill. The Grand Hill was supposed to have a blue tinted bottom. And uh, we ended up having to drop it because it was too expensive. I was salty about that, too. I mean, like, if the blue tinted bottom come out, like, I think, like, that shoe kind of puts it, like, over the top for, like, over, like, the Jordan 11. And I have a black one. I can, I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. I have a right. black color that I had done, which had reflective. So it was white. It was, it was black silver, so that the triangle was reflective, and then the bottom was like smoked, like gray. 
man, it looked hard as nails. Um, and I think it would have been definitely like a lot more iconic. But, you know, culturally back then, it was really difficult to, to push. You know, there just wasn't a whole lot that you could do. The fact that I even got it as far as I did was, was pretty extraordinary. Um, but we just didn't have, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, eventually led me to starting Grand Block. I was tired of people telling me no. All right, so like back in '96, that shoe had like such a run, like from the NBA All Star Game in San Antonio to like the '96 Olympics in Atlanta, and I and I even remember seeing um, Grand Hill on a Wheaties box wearing that shoe. I have the box still. <laughs> I still have the box. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, you're talking about you know, he was. After Michael Jordan, the best player in the NBA, he was an incredibly likable character. He was, you know, it's a damn shame that he hurt himself because he was going to be one of the top three greatest of all time. You know, he was an extraordinary athlete. He was uh, incredibly charming and, and, and friendly. He had all the attributes that Jordan had, you know, in that regard, mm -hmm. that he was incredibly sort of uh, charming, handsome. Uh, well-spoken. He was the ultimate sort of ambassador for our brand. You know I mean, you know, he could sell you anything, but you know, he could sell ice to an Eskimo because he was just that charming. And so, you match that with a good shoe, and you know, it's rare in my industry. It's rare that you're you're lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, where where you're lucky enough that you've designed something that's strong, and that the athlete is peaking. And that they have a lot of, of, of uh, uh, following, you know, you're constantly looking for that to, to strike again. You know, I thought I was going to hit that again when I started working with Big Baller Grand. I thought that was going to happen again from the muzzle, you know, but it didn't. Um, I thought, you know, when I went to Adidas, I was hoping for that to happen again with Kobe. Uh, but then, you know, there was politics and other things that happened that prevented that. But that's what I've always been searching for is that sort of perfect storm again. All right, so like, did the 96 Olympics play like a big part in the development of the um, Grand Hill 2 colorway? Yeah, so there was the additional colorway, the Olympic one, which had the speckles on it. Remember, that was sort of, you know, the, the playing off of the stars. Uh, and it had like a crazy hologram kind of material on there, yeah. Yeah, so we worked on some special Olympic ones thereafter. I think I had wilder ones, but again, I couldn't get them pushed through because they were just too buck wild for, for, for what they wanted, you know, what they were trying to get accomplished. They, they wanted them cleaner. Right. The bottom and the top are two different colors like they've been doing now with Grand Hill 6. Yeah. You know, as they do them as, as, as throwbacks and stuff, it's, it's the stuff that I was trying to do back then, but they, you know, it was just too, it was too crazy. And like, I think the Olympics took the Grand Hill too. Like, I think it took it to a whole new level. And like, like this was like pre-internet back then. And the Olympics brought like uh, a worldwide attention to the shoe. Yeah, we yeah. see like how how you know how big of a star Jordan was on the on the international stage. You know, just seeing how big basketball was back then, it was like you know they were worldwide rock stars. So I I, I agree. You know, you've got a, a phenomenal superstar uh, on a world platform. Uh, it's a great place to have a shoe, and that's another reason. Y'all tell you something. If you think about the most successful basketball shoes, uh, one of the things that, that's at the designer that I'm always striving for, it's really important that they're graphically very simple because you can see them from a distance. So when you're looking at a guy on, a team, on, on, on a court, he's tiny. 
You know, he's absolutely tiny. So to see the graphic of his shoes is very difficult. The Grand Hill 2 has a very strong graphic, side graphic. The Jordan 11 has a very strong graphic. You know, the Jordan 9, most of the Jordans have really strong graphics. The, the, the question, the Iverson shoe has that, that toe. I think the, the best basketball shoes, the most iconic ones, have these really strong graphics that you can see from a distance. And I think, you know, when, you, when, when guys are, you know, getting out of the bus and going to their events or whatever in Europe or wherever they're going for the Olympics, that you're seeing that really well. And I think for the shoe to have the run that it did back in the 90s when Jordan and Nike was king, I think it speaks volumes to the way the Grand Hill 2 was like universally accepted from all walks of life, from the streets to um, the basketball court, even to like random kids like like me who just wanted to look cool. Yeah, yeah, it's that perfect storm that I'm talking about. You know, you have to be, the shoe has to be right, the athlete has to be right, the brand has to be right, and if all those things are happening at the same time, then you might get lucky, you know what I mean? But it doesn't, you know, it's, it's rare for all those things to be happening at the exact same time, you know? Mm -hmm. One or the other, and it prevents it now. The only company that consistently does that is Nike, right? Nike consistently has the right athlete, the right design, and the right brand. And so they have a lot of those. But for other brands, it's, it's once in a blue moon that they can hit one like that, you know? And I think, like, Grand Hills Online, it it put um, Fila into like a whole different stratosphere and it made it like one of the it brands of the 1990s. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, you know, I remember the biggest moment for me was, uh, you know, there's that picture of Tupac sitting there wearing it. Yeah, it was just about to get into that. That, that was like, first of all, you know, back then, obviously hip-hop was really regional. And so uh -huh. you know, we were right in the midst of, of, of East Coast, West Coast trauma and all that stuff. And here is, you know, arguably... You know, aside from Biggie, the biggest hip hop star in the world is wearing your sneaker. I mean, that was just crazy. And that really, uh, again, I, like I said, I think it, it, it made, Fila was the kind of, Nike was the, Nike was the sort of elite brand, but Fila was the more sort of hood brand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. A little bit more raw. Uh, and it was, it, it, it was cool. It was a cool time. Um, how did you feel like seeing Pac wear your shoe? Like being in the '90s at the height of the East Coast West Coast War, like did you feel like kind of conflicted? No, not really, because at the end of the day, Tupac was still super cool. I mean, everybody, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you can't. It's like, you know, it's like when there's when there's a basketball player that like you know, like I'm from New York, right? So Jordan, Jordan just consistently just you know threw a beating on my team and, and prevented us from ever winning a championship. So. On the one hand, I was salty about that, but you can't hit on Jordan. It's Jordan. He's the man. It's so fun to watch him. So, like, with Pac, it's like, yeah, you know, the, the beat between the two of them was, was whack, and it was, it was it, obviously the, the fallout was horrible. But I never felt some type of way about, about Tupac either way. You know, I didn't love him. Um, I didn't care for him as much as an artist, just because I, I like more lyrical artists. Uh, but that wasn't because he was from the West Coast or anything like that. And so... I always thought he was super cool. I thought the way he dressed was super cool. I thought his, his his persona was super cool. So for him to have the shoes on was just like, oh my god, you know what I mean? I mean, in some respects, let's be honest, it's cooler to see Tupac in your shoes than it is to see Biggie in your shoes, you know? <laughs> if I'm picking a yeah. model, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But if I'm picking a model, I'm gonna go with Tupac. <laughs> and the weird thing about it is, like, I never seen Biggie wearing sneakers. I only see him like wearing Tims. Like, right, right. Well, like, you know, yeah. Like, Stacey Adams 
so like I think like as hip hop became more mainstream and social and socially acceptable, like so did Fila and like um, what other rappers like off the top of your head do you re- recall wearing the um, Grand Hill shoe? Well, like I said, the Grand Hill one was you know the, the, the Method Man. Um, I think who else I saw that. I'll tell you a story, you know, so like I said, we, we lived in Brooklyn, in Clinton Hills, and I can't tell you how many times I'd be on the subway on my way home, and I remember I'd see like, you know, a crew of kids, and they'd have like, you know, four or five of the kids, they'd be like high school student kids, they would have Grand Hills on, and they'd be like, you know, because you know how kids are, they'd be having jokes on people on the train or whatever it is, and I'd be <laughs> thinking to myself, God, these kids have no idea that I designed their shoes, you know, it used to, it, it was a cool feeling. And like back then, like the uniform for like the for like the inner city kid was like a Jansport book bag, um, Tommy Hilfiger clothes, and and Grand Hill shoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the Tommy Hilfiger and the polo stuff was red, white, blue. So the first one with that preppy look, you know, um, you know, Grand Puba kind of started that 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 preppy mm-hmm. that preppy look. Uh, yeah, man, that shoe. You know, that's another good point, and that's actually another thing that I've been sort of trying to, to get at. What I'm, I'm working on the new on the new brand black rare metal, and one of the things that I'm trying to get at that I think has been lost is that I feel like basketball shoes now have gotten so tacky that you can't really rock them off court. They look kind of weird off court. Whereas, like, when I was a kid, and when Grand Hill came out, and the Jordans of that day, and the, and the Iversons and all that, could rock them off court and they still look cool but i feel like now like the lebrons and all that they're just so specifically like on court basketball shoes do you know what i mean yeah they, they translate off court anymore so i'm trying to kind of get back to that 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 space i think you can do it i think you can you can still take all the technology that exists in the new shoes because good god you try to play the new ones compared to the old ones it's a joke how much better they are but i don't think you have to compromise i think they can still look cool and I have to look so sort of weird and space-aged. And you know what's funny? Like, right before I called you, I was watching New Jersey Drive, um, the movie from the 90s, from 95. And, like, I seen, like, three people wearing the um, Grand Hill shoes. Yeah. Because it's like a, you know, it's, it's a clean white sneaker. It's a white leather sneaker that's super clean. It's like, it's like an uptown, you know? If you think mm-hmm. about it. So I think, ultimately... I think that's what makes the 90s stuff, I think that's why the throwback stuff from the 90s is so popular with people. And I think that's why the later stuff, you know, the, 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 the 2000 sort of retro stuff is kind of harder to rock because it starts getting too techy and weird looking. It's just, it becomes, if you're like a weird high fashion kind of like Balenciaga type dude, you could probably pull it off. But for most of us, it's just too much. It's just too out there. And I think that the 90s stuff was still old school enough that it was, it was a nice sort of transition. You know, the same applies, I think, for like, you know, I, I, I like I like cars. And if you look at, you know, cars from the 60s and 70s are, are super sexy and super cool. Um, and then something happened where they just started getting too, like, you know, too futuristic looking. Like now, if you drive around like a Lambo or something, it just looks too crazy, you know? <laughs> nah, those are rich people problems. <laughs> Not that I have that problem. <laughs> All right, so, like, um, why do you think, like, the shoes that followed the Grand Hill 2 didn't reach the same popularity as its predecessors? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors. I think one of the factors was that Grand Hill started getting hurt. So, like I said, you know, you need 
Right. One of the major factors is that perfect storm goes away, so that you know if your star player is not playing, that's that's not a good look. I think the other part of it was there was a lot of politics going on at the time, a lot of egos floating around, and it made um, you know I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly, but I got to a point where I I, I had enough, and so I had gone into the management of the company and I said, listen, if this stuff doesn't change, I'm out. And I remember they just told me flat out, they were like, you know, I mean, I remember the speech verbatim. The guy basically told me in a heavy Italian accent, I can get 10 more designers more talented than you any day of the week. If you don't like it, you can leave. And I was like, all right, done. I'm out. I never came back. That was the last day I ever stepped in that office. So I had already spoken to one of the guys from Adidas and they had an office at the time, Soho. And so I had met with him. And interestingly, this is again the sort of the underground black sort of uh, network, you know. So he was one of the black designers at uh, at Adidas, and I met him and uh, me and Joe, the other guy, and uh, we were ready to go, you know. So when I heard that from Phil, I was like, I'm out. So they had told me Adidas that I was going to work on on, on uh, Kobe, so I was super excited for, for that perfect storm again. Uh, and then when I got out there, that didn't work out like that. There politics involved there. But I left. My man was having a hard time. I just think there was a lot of, you know, it's appropriate now with what's going on right now in the world that, you know, there were, you know, all the executives were white. A lot of the young designers were black. There was actually three of us. Uh, and I think that at a certain point, just, you know, politics got in the way and certain people wanted to control things and they didn't really know what they were doing and they didn't understand the culture and what made things cool or didn't make things cool and nobody wanted to listen and the product suffered for it, you know? And I'm kind of glad that you um, left and branch out on your own because sometimes in life you just got to take a chance and bet on yourself. Yeah, I'll tell you something. So I had already gone on an interview. I had, I had already, I had already been out to them. I had already talked to them before I went in there and, and gave that. When I, you know, when I went into the president of the company and I told him, "Listen, I can't deal with with my boss anymore, and either something's got to change or I'm out." I was ready for him to tell me to go fuck myself and leave because that's always the risk you got to run. So if, if you're not prepared, you could end up, you know, in a bad situation. So luckily, I was in a position where I knew I had another gig lined up if it came to that and so I could walk into that room with utmost confidence and not have to bluff you know and be able to tell them listen this is how I feel um, it ain't working um, you know he's, he's basically not letting you know it got to the point where basically he was sabotaging other people's shoes and not letting them come out it was just ridiculous so I was just like I can't deal with this anymore and that was it alright can you tell us a little bit about um, Brand Black yeah so like you know I've been then Adidas, I was salty as well. It was kind of similar, you know, not not catching any of the sort of, you know, again, you know, uh, uh, there was no, there was only one other black person in, in, in the design team. It was just, you know, it was just the culture was just completely just, they didn't get it. And beyond that, beyond the culture of not understanding sneakers, you know, they didn't understand what makes sneakers cool. They didn't understand that there's a culture behind it. They just saw the functional side of things. And that was just super frustrating. And then there was politics involved, and they were, you know, they had nepotism for people they liked, and it was just, it, it was a mess. So, so that was Adidas. So I left, when I left Adidas, I was just 
burned out. I felt like, man, I'm over two now. This is two different companies where I've, I've felt this, and I really don't like the culture of either of these places. And I, I might be done with shoes. So I started working with this dude, um, Philippe Stark. He's an industrial designer. He hotels and stuff. And I was like, maybe I'm not even going to do shoes anymore. And then I ended up coming back to New York, and I started, you know, doing at that time the hip hop sort of clothing market really kicked in. Uh, so I was working for, you know, I, I did stuff for Fubu, I did stuff for for Fat Farm, I did stuff for who else did I do? I did Rockaware, I did Chantel, I did everybody. Um, and you know, I had my frustrations there as well. And then uh, you know. Went back to Fila for a second bit when it was a totally different group of people there for a second sort of run at, at, at Fila. And uh, and then came out to LA and was was was, uh, was tasked with sort of helping Skechers come up with performance shoes, which was its own craziness because that brand, you want to talk about the opposite of a perfect storm, like, you know, a brand that has such little cachet. Um, and so, frankly, I just got to a point where I was just like, I can't take, you know, either there's something wrong with what I think. And then I'm wrong all the time, or all these people are wrong, and I have to prove it. I, you know, it's one thing to sit there and complain and bitch and moan about how the world isn't the way you want it to be. But if you don't like it, go out and do something about it. So I figured, you know what, before I'm too old and I have, you know, my kids and, and I can't afford to take risks, I'm going to just try it. And so that's kind of how Brand Black started. All right. So, like, before we get into some fan questions, um, you work with Kobe at Adidas. Um, what was it like crafting a shoe for like one of the all-time great players? So let me start with the fact that he was crazy young when I when I started working with him. He was like 18, 19. He was really young. He still lived with his parents. You know, we went to go visit him in the Palisades. He was living in the Palisades and had his own room. I mean, granted, the room was bigger than my house, but he was living with his parents. So that'll give you an idea how young he was. He was a, a nice kid. He was uh, receptive, you know, at, at the time. Uh, so, you know, I, like I said, I, I left out to go to work in Portland, work for Adidas in Portland, and my, my, my old roommate Joe stayed in New York. And at that time, he was working for Averex. And so I remember I had an Averex coat on. I don't know if you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had an Averex <laughs> coat on. And, uh, I remember he was really interested in it. He was like, oh, you have the the one. I told him I got the hookup. I can take care of you, blah, blah, So I think he was really receptive to trying some different stuff, you know, and I think it was refreshing for him to be able to talk to somebody because I didn't get to work with him until the very end of, of, of he had already done two shoes with this other designer. Um, and I think this was the first time that he could kind of vibe with somebody. So I really liked him. So, like, so, like, you waited three years to, like, design a shoe for Kobe before Adidas pulled the plug on it. Can you, like, explain what happened with that situation? Yeah, so that shoe, you know, we would have what's called ILR, initial line review. And I was finally in charge of basketball, and I got to do that shoe, and we had our ILR. And so an ILR would be, like, with a whole, you know, Adidas had offices in um, Portland, and they had offices in New York, and they had offices in Germany. And they had different divisions and all. And then at ILR, you would meet in Germany and you would have all your first round prototypes and then all the executives were trying to figure out what the line was going to look like. And there would be kind of, it would be like your one, it was like your Olympics almost. It's like all the designers got to flex and like who, who had the best shoe of that, of that, you know, of that ILR. And 
I remember the one before that, there was this guy named Andy Kane, an English dude, and he had done this crazy running shoe. It was incredible. By the way, this is the guy that ended up designing the mercurial, the mercurial vapor for uh, Nike. I think he's like the top executive of Nike. He might be head of all of what was creative in Nike now. And I remember he came up to me with, with the prototype of that, of that Kobe that I had done, and he was just like, man, that thing is fire. I mean, he didn't say that, but he said, you know, he's like, oh my God, you know, I love that shoe. That thing is so cool. And I remember thinking, all right, I finally got, you know, it's been, I've, I've been kind of waiting three years and it's been frustrating, but I got a banger. We got Kobe who's on fire. Jordan's kind of at the end of his career. This is it. And people were liking it. It was going all the way through. And then all of a sudden the design, the, the creative director of the company, he goes, you know, the other Kobe's haven't really done well. And I don't really have confidence in the design team here. So I'm going to have Audi design one for us. And I was like, Audi? What does Audi know about basketball shoes? And he was just like, look, you got to deal with it. You got you to work on the shoes. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So I remember that was it. I was ready to leave after that. I was so mad. My God, I was devastated. If Audi like, wasn't involved, like, what would your Kobe shoe, what would it have like looked like? You haven't seen it? No. I'll, I'll, I'll provide you pictures of this on Instagram. It's a, it was a real graphic shoe. I mean, I think it was really ahead of its time. It was, you know, it had a simple, really radical graphic on it. It was much sleeker than what Adidas was making at the time. Adidas at the time was making these bulky shoes. To me, it looks like a basketball shoe from now, you know? It had a Solomon lacing system. It was cool. I was very happy with it. Um, I thought that I, you know, I don't have, you know, I have, I, I can count on one hand the shoes that I really think that I've done that are great. Really good. I think I've done a lot of turkeys in my career, so you know that's one of the ones that I really like. So it was a shame that it didn't it didn't get a chance to get out there. Um, how about Antoine Walker's shoes? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, the real deal. So I did that real deal too, and then it was actually I just found somebody somebody on on Facebook reached out with some, and has samples. I guess after I had left, they took one of my crazy sketches and turned them. I actually produced the shoe. I don't know if it made it into production or whatever, but it, it was. I tried to make a shoe with a with a. It had like a knit collar, like with the three stripes on it, which in the '90s didn't exist. You know, nobody had knit collars. Um, and I'm pretty excited about that shoe too. But he wants too much money for it, so I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to negotiate with him, but he doesn't want. He doesn't want to come down with the price of the sample. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I did that. The, the Antoine Walker. I did a couple of those. I really like those shoes. They came out good. But it's not the same thing as doing Kobe. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, sneaker guy from Instagram. He asks, did any other NBA players wear Grand Hill shoes besides Grand Hill in the yeah, game? I don't know about that. I think I was. I have no idea. Probably. I'm sure. My guess would be somebody in Detroit probably had them on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was actually doing my research on that, and I really couldn't find no other person wearing that shoe other than Grant. Other than Grant. So maybe that's yeah. the case. Weird. All right. Um, Malcolm Haslam from Facebook asks, like, what were some of the challenges in creating the Grant Hill 2? Uh, I think some of the challenges were preserving the purity of the design, you know, and not letting it get, get fucked up and, and, you know, when you work for a big company, there's lots of people trying to give you their two cents, and everybody's trying to put their two cents on it. And by the time you're finished, 
you know, it's like a game of telephone. The end result has nothing to do with the original idea. And so I kept trying to uh, just keep it as pure as possible. Like keep it, you know, kept looking at that original sketch, which was just like a little just napkin sketch of an outline of a shoe with a big fat black line and just remembering to sort of keep it that pure. All right. Um, Jeff King from Twitter, he asks, did you find it hard to um, replicate the success that you had with the Grand Hill 2 in your later sneakers? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I think that perfect storm is really hard to catch. You know, to, to, to get, to be at the right place at the right time where the brand's hot, the athlete's hot, you have the right shoe at the right time. Uh, I have been trying since then, and I don't know that I've hit the perfect storm just yet. I've had smaller successes and some of them are more rewarding you know obviously having like you know my own brand and having had success with the rare metal from brand black uh felt great jamal crawford shoes and all that which you know is my brand but it's not the same mm -hmm. as two and a half million pairs of grand hills you know um i've had shoes that have sold more but i don't think they had any cultural relevance you know um what was it like working with jamal crawford like he's one of my favorite nba players to um to talk to. So when when we started reaching out for, for who we wanted to be the face of Brand Black, we had three athletes in mind. And this is before any of them had popped. <clears throat> well Jamal was already he was already Jamal Crawford. But the other two hadn't popped yet. So just to give you an idea of how you know we had we, we had a nice little list there. So we had Steph Curry uh, and we had James Harden. And, and this is when Harden was coming off the bench, and this is when Steph, he hadn't even made it to the playoffs yet. You know, he was still kind of, it was more than it. We felt like those three guys would be a perfect fit for the brand. And then we ended up, uh, Steph Curry was out of our price range, and so was James Harden, because James Harden's agent was the same agent as uh, his client, that's the same agent as Kobe. Mm -hmm. So they just wanted too much money. And so we started talking to Jamal, and he is the most down-to-earth, chill guy in the world and, and it's crazy considering how ridiculous he is on court you know what i mean um and how much swagger he has and how effortless he makes it look and i just felt like he was a really good fit for the brand um working with him was really difficult because he's not really opinionated as far as aesthetics go but he's super difficult to deal with when it comes to his shoes because he doesn't unlike a lot of players like you know like jordan would change his shoes every game right Jamal likes to wear the same shoes for like half the season. And so they fall apart or they get too mushy. It was, it was very difficult to work with him. Like he likes to shoot as really soft, but to make it supportive and, and, and structural enough for him soft uh, presented a lot of challenges. We ended up making really good shoes because of that at the end, but to get there was a real struggle. Was um was this um Jamal when he was on the Knicks or or after? This is Jamal when he was with the Clippers. Oh, Clippers, all right. All right, Dave, well, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, you created one of the most iconic shoes of all time, and you continue to change the game with Brand Black. That's very nice of you. Thank you very much. I, I just, uh, I love what I do. I, you know, I, I, and I'm still chasing, still trying to get, still trying to get another platinum plaque. <laughs> still working on it.